heard of quick change artists. This is quick computer artists at work. I hope I remember to bring the right sermon. Last week I didn't. Good morning, church. get all this done beforehand. Oh, you're watching all that up there, aren't you? Our uh, daughter and son-in-law finally got a house in Yakima, so in a couple of weeks, Jean and I are going to travel up there, and uh, Paul is going to have the sermon for us while I'm gone. So please excuse us. We talked to our little grandson, and he's getting excited that we're coming. He misses Grandma and Grandpa. Well, we're coming back. They bought us plane tickets round trip. It isn't one way. So, And as much work as they're going to have for us to unpack all the boxes and get in the house ready, I'm not going to have much time to do much of anything else. So we'll be back. We'll come back to rest. That's what we'll do. When I turned 13, everybody said, oh, he's finally a teenager. You know, you reach that goal. In some churches, by the way, 13 is when you reach manhood. So I just figured I'm a man now. I hit the ripe old age of 13. Won't be long and I'll be over the hill. And I decided that since I'm a man, I'd been picked on by my two older brothers so much that they always teased me of being little that I was going to show them. I was going to show that I'm a man. So guess what I did? Now, I don't advise you young people to do the same thing, please. It's Russian roulette, and you never know when the gun will go off and kill you. But I got caught. Don't know how. Still to this day hadn't figured it out because it wasn't anywhere around my parents. But they found out. I guess it's the parental radar they have inside of them. And so one night, I'll never forget, they called me into the kitchen and they run all the other brothers off so that they wouldn't hear. But I think they were in the dining room with their ears to the door listening. And they says, we know what you've been doing. Now, I was waiting for the lecture, you know, the bad boy lecture. I could handle lectures. That was no problem. And uh, even if, I, I knew he wouldn't do it, but even if my dad would have backhand me and knocked me across the kitchen, I would have accepted that. That would have hurt it for a while. But, but what I got was My parents pointed their finger at me and said, shame on you. I felt this high. I still feel the feeling today. You don't want to bring shame on your parents. You don't want that you want them to accept you. You don't want a kind of rejection. And so that really hurt. 
I quit for a while until I got in the Navy. And then you're back with the peer pressure again. you got to watch that peer pressure because it's a bad thing. But I still remember that shame on you. You know what shame means? It means to humiliate and to, to disgrace. I humiliated my parents and myself. And I was a disgrace. It's interesting when you take a look at it, if you go to a letter that Paul wrote to Rome in Romans. Paul was writing to the church in Rome, and because the Christians didn't have a church, they met with the Jews in the same church, which created problems at times. But it also has influences. Can you imagine if we didn't have a church, so at the same time we met with the Catholics down at the Catholic Church, and what that would present? And so Paul's writing his letter to all of them, Jews and Christians. He was a Jew, so he knew what it was like to be a Jew. And he gave himself to Christ, so he knew what it was like to be a Christian. And so he wrote this letter to the Romans. Look what it says in Romans 1, verse 16. Notice how he words this. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. For everyone who believes as believe in Christ, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. So here's a question I want to ask you. Don't answer it yet. Are you ashamed of the gospel of Christ? Seems like a silly question to ask in a Seventh-day Adventist church on a Sabbath morning to a whole congregation of church members. But I want you to think for a moment. Are times you ashamed of the gospel of Christ? We want to look at this. We also want to look at what Paul was doing when he wrote that letter. And why did he tell Jews and Christians meeting in the same church that he was not ashamed of the gospel? What, what mental pictures came to their heads when he began to mention the gospel? What did the Roman authorities do to Jesus in Jerusalem? Crucified him. Where was this church located? In Rome. Who was meeting in the church? Jews and Christians. So they knew all of this, and there is a mental image that took place when he talks about Jesus and talks about the gospel. And it's not a very good mental image. In fact, even if they weren't there, we need to ask the question, why did the Romans choose the cross? They could have stabbed him. They could have poisoned his food. He could have been like John the Baptist. They could have chopped off his head. Why did they choose the cross? What did the cross mean? They took the cross, and remember they take it outside the city of Jerusalem, in Jesus' case, right by the city gate, where all the people were coming and going. It was a public display of dishonor. They kept these individuals on the brink of life and death, just teetering back and forth. In some cases, some people on the cross... They kept them there for days before they finally died. And in the meantime, everybody's coming and going, and they're stopping, and they're looking, and they're seeing. What do these people think of when they see a cross? 
Well, it was this public display of dishonor. These people are not honorable is what the Romans are trying to say. They also bring across the meaning, the implied message is that they're cursed by any of the gods. Whether it's a Roman god or whether it's the Christian god or the Jewish god, a person hanging on the cross is cursed. Now with this in mind, because of the cross, the people saw Jesus as a traitor, a criminal, a reject by God, not a savior. That's the mental picture when they hear of someone that has died on the cross. A person cannot be a criminal and the Messiah at the same time. But what was Paul bringing into the church? He's saying the crucified Jesus is the Messiah. And they said, that can't be. That's impossible. He's disgraced by God. We're ashamed of him. Back in the Navy when I was in basic training, they used to have guys that uh, did something wrong. And uh, they were put in the local, well, you'd call it the jail. And what they would do when they'd come over to the chow hall to eat, when they'd come through line, they'd make all the guys and even those that were working behind the chow line to turn their backs on those individuals because they were a disgrace. They Instead of the white sailor cap, their cap was pink. So you knew immediately that they were a disgrace to the Navy. That's the mental image you have when you see a pink hat. So don't wash your whites with pink clothes or you'll know the mental image that I'll receive. You're a disgrace, especially you guys. But anyway, when they would hear anyone talk about the cross, it would put this mental image and they would say, there's no way that he could be the Messiah. He's cursed by God. How could he be the Messiah? Look at Romans 1, verse 17. For in it, he's still the context is still talking about the gospel, For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So in it is revealed the righteousness of God in the very heart of the crucifixion. But that's hard for these people to understand this. And the influences that the Jews had on the Christians that were meeting together I'm sure they would argue and say, you are worshiping a guy that is a disgrace. And they say, no, he's the righteousness of God. But after a while, you begin to question that and you begin to doubt. And then after a while, you don't want to talk to the Jews that are meeting in the same church anything about Jesus because they will automatically reject it. Just as soon as you say his name, ah, don't want to hear about it. But Paul is writing to them and saying, even though Jesus was crucified, he is in the midst of this crucifixion message, is the righteousness of God. If he hadn't died on the cross, we would have no hope of eternal life. He was doing the right thing. Romans 1 verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness 
and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Does anyone here want to face the wrath of God? Sounds like a silly question, doesn't it? But that's what he's writing to them is the fact that if you don't accept this gospel message of Jesus crucified, Jesus being raised from the dead, Jesus going to heaven, the only other alternative is the wrath of God. But they're saying, well, how can that be if he's a disgrace? So what does Paul mean when he said the unrighteousness of men? You might be thinking, and sometimes we jump over this, you might be thinking, oh, the unrighteous, that's a heathen. That's, that's those individuals that do all these crazy things and voodoo and all kinds of stuff. We're not talking about Christians. They certainly wouldn't do anything unrighteous. So Paul is referring, if they're sitting in the church when they read that letter, the Christians sitting on this side would point over and say, it's you Jews, that's who he's talking about. But guess who the letter was written to? Both sides. So what is Paul, what does he mean, the unrighteousness of men? We read it, but again, here's a Bible text that we sometimes read, a lot of times we read, but we kind of jump over certain part and never really stop to understand and let Paul explain. Because Paul says in verse 18, those who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, those who hold down, suppress means stuff down, hide it. I know in my heart the gospel is true, but I fail to reveal it to others. I suppress it. I hide the fact from other people that I'm a Christian. Are you ashamed of the gospel? How do I know that's what he's saying? Romans 1.19 Here he answers. Because what may be known of God is manifest or revealed in them. For God has shown it to them. He's saying to the Christians, you know, you know that Jesus went to the cross. You know that it was humiliating to see the creator of the universe on a cross. But you also know that he did it so that you might have eternal life. You also know that he was raised from the dead, that there was an empty tomb. You also know that he was resurrected. We saw him go into the air and to go into heaven to prepare a place for us. You know he's coming back soon. You know all these things, but you don't want any controversy going on, so you hide it from family because you don't want any family problems, from friends because you don't want any friends to, to reject you. You're hiding it. You're not going to admit that things are going wrong. Paul says you know this. You're suppressing it. You're hiding it. And the whole context of this passage is the gospel of Christ, which includes the crucifixion. But you don't want to bring this message out. Do you sometimes remain silent to your family, 
to your friends, to your workers, to your neighbors. I won't mention his name, but there is a very famous person who became a pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church after a major accident, automobile accident he was in. And he was on television, and they were interviewing him. I was watching this interview. And they asked him, they says, what religion are you? It's broadcast all over the world. What religion are you? You know what he said? I believe the same as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He would not say, I am a Seventh-day Adventist pastor. He's hiding it. He's suppressing it. He's remaining silent. Because he doesn't want to have to explain himself. Afraid of what others might think. What are you, some kind of a Jesus freak or something? You some kind of a religious fanatical nut? We don't want labels placed on ourselves. So we just conveniently not mention things. I'm suppressing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Second Timothy 1, verses 7 through 12. Now, you've got to get a little bit of a context here. Timothy, a young man, wants to be a pastor just like Paul. Wants to walk in his footsteps. Wants to be able to lead churches. And look, Paul is writing him a letter and he says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Who's he writing to? Timothy. This is for Timothy's eyes only. So what is he anticipating that's going through the emotions of Timothy? Fear. Timothy, I know you're afraid. He continues on. But of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, Timothy, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But share with me in the suffering for the gospel. He, Paul, the apostle Paul, would suffer just sharing Jesus Christ. He would be stoned, he'd be arrested, thrown in jail, he'd be whipped, he'd have all these things that were happening to him, rejected from place to place, suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Remember, the gospel is the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality. When did he do that? On the cross. He brought life and immortality to light through the gospel to which I, Paul, was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed 
For I know whom I believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. That day is the second coming of Jesus. People will reject the message of the gospel. To the Jews, the gospel of Jesus was a stumbling block. A Messiah cannot be crucified and killed the way he was. And it's still a stumbling block to this day. To the Greeks, the intellectuals, it was beyond reasoning. I can't reason this out. It doesn't make any sense. And it still happens today. But we, before we were born, were commissioned by God to share the gospel to the world. But do I hide it? Am I afraid? Am I afraid what others might think? What they might say about me? What if they found out I'm a Seventh-day Adventist? So what the trend is now is to try to change. To become more like the world. Not to offend by what we preach, but to be able to preach what they want to hear. Is it happening? Paul was implying that young Timothy didn't want to mention the gospel. He was afraid. Timothy wasn't the only one, by the way, during that time. Look what Paul had to say a little bit later on, still the context of the gospel, 2 Timothy 1, verses 15 through 18. This you know, Timothy, you know this, that all those, he's referring to Christians, followers of Paul, followers of Christ, all those Christians in Asia have turned away from me. They don't want to be associated with this fanatical nut. Among whom, now he mentions Phagilius and Hermogenes. What names? Huh? Don't pick those names up for your kids today. But Timothy knew these people. They were followers of Paul. And then he says, The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. There you go, try spelling that. For he often refreshed me, Paul, and was not ashamed of my chain. This was when Paul was in prison. He was in chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me, to me at Ephesus. So here he's painting a picture. He says, look, you know all these followers that used to say, we'll go any place you want us to go. We'll say and do anything you want us to do. And then all of a sudden they began to see around them that the people didn't like Paul because of the message. Remember, Paul says for him, he was appointed to be a preacher and a teacher and an apostle. And so his message is the message only of Jesus and Jesus crucified. That's the power of God, the resurrected Jesus, and that's all he's going to preach. And they're saying, well, wait a minute here. Nobody wants to hear your message because they all think of Jesus as being a traitor 
as him being a criminal. And a traitor and a criminal cannot be the Messiah. I don't want to hear your message. So I don't want to look bad. So I'm not going to preach your gospel. I'm not even going to associate with you. I don't want to have anything to do with you. Goodbye, sayonara, Paul. See you later. Hope you have a good life. Except for one man. And when Paul was down and out, that man came and visited him and prayed with him. And guess what? Learn from him because Paul was a teacher. And he went out and willingly shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. Context, again, is still the gospel, which is all Paul wanted to preach. When they rejected Paul, they also rejected his message. Now I ask you, are you ashamed of the church and its gospel message? Let's take... First of all, what, is it, what do I mean by the gospel message? Here is the message for God's remnant people in the last days. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven having the everlasting... Whoa, wait a minute. That means the crucified Christ. That means he died on the cross. That means he was resurrected. That means he's gone to heaven. That means he's coming back. The everlasting gospel to preach to how many people? Remember, the gospel, Jesus is not going to come until the gospel is preached to the entire world. And so he goes on. To those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. I guess that covers everybody. Saying with a loud voice, fear God, give glory to Him, for the hours His judgment has come. Worship Him who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and the springs of the water. The gospel also includes not only the death of Jesus on the cross, but includes the judgment and the keeping of the Sabbath for the last day message. It's all included together. You cannot separate any of it. So what are we doing in our churches today? Many of the churches are saying, Oh no, we're not going to preach the judgment. I've got a friend of mine who's a professor. He was my professor when I went to college. He's moved out here to California. He's retired. Probably because he was my professor. That probably got him all tired. But he's still teaching. Volunteer, not getting paid. And one of the universities, and I'm not going to say which one, their paid professors refuse to preach the investigative judgment. Do you know what he does? He's a follower of Jesus Christ. He's not ashamed of the gospel. He's not ashamed of the judgment. He's not ashamed of the Sabbath. He willingly teaches the investigative judgment. But that's not all. Revelation, the three angels' message says that we're supposed to go and reveal Babylon, which means confusion. We are to expose the false, confusing biblical teachings that are going on in this world today, even though it makes enemies of us. Even though we don't want to hear that. 
You're knocking my church. You're knocking my pastor. I am presenting to you truth. And we're not to worship the beast or its image. The beast and the image is all part of this last day message that's to go out. It's all classified as the gospel. That means I've got to stand and to say who the beast is, who the image is. But people don't want to hear it in our churches. Oh, let's, let's soft pedal this a little bit. Let's, let's, let's don't go too far with this now. We don't want to make enemies with them. So we invite them in to worship with us. And we invite their leaders to come up and stand at the sacred pulpit of God and to preach their Babylonian message. Are you ashamed of the gospel? Let's take a name, Seventh-day Adventist. I am proud. I'm losing my voice. Let me get a drink. I am proud to be a Seventh-day Adventist. I needed that. Why? Because our name really pinpoints it. The seventh day. Ezekiel 20, verse 12. Moreover, I also gave them my Sabbaths to be assigned between me and them that they may know, that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. The Sabbath is more than just worshiping the Creator. It's recognizing that He is the one that sanctifies us, gets us ready for heaven. The Sabbath is a crucial, important message that needs to be given to this world today. The seventh day, I keep the Sabbath because my God is my Redeemer and my Savior. He is my Messiah. When I dishonor the Sabbath... It's saying, I am ashamed of its meaning. When I'm afraid to speak about the Sabbath to others, I am ashamed of the seventh day Sabbath. When I want to act more like the world and throw out the biblical teachings that God has given to us and how to keep the Sabbath day, I am ashamed even of the Sabbath When a church removes the seventh day from its name, it is showing its shame for the Lord of the Sabbath. And yet there is a movement today to remove the Seventh-day Adventists from church signs. We don't want to offend anyone. We, We want old brother Joe across the street to come, so we'll take the name off. Well, see, the next... Logical step is, if you remove the name, then you've got to remove the day. I wonder what phone call I'll get from the conferences next week. The word, don't worry about it. The word Adventist means arrival. Who are Seventh-day Adventists waiting for? That we're waiting for Jesus. How important is that message? We need to be delivered from evil and the evil one. 
I'm waiting for the arrival of Jesus, not for just myself, but for redemption of my family, of my friends, and all who will listen to me. See, I have been ordained before I was ever born to be a Seventh-day Adventist. And because of that, that means I've got a message, the gospel message, that I need to share with all those that I come in contact with. Oh, but I might offend my family and they won't come to the family reunion. I might not get my Christmas gift. Or they may not even give me my birthday cake. But you don't understand, if I mention at work that I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, they're going to isolate me. Well, you're going to be isolated because if we're not willing to share the, the everlasting gospel, we've got the wrath of God to be poured down on us. And that means eternal death. You'll be isolated throughout all eternity. So I'd rather be isolated from a few than to be isolated from God. I'm not ashamed of my Messiah, who is Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of my religion, that I come from a Judeo-Christian background, who believes in the Bible, the Old Testament and the New. There's also a trend not to go into the Old Testament, only go with the New Testament. I am not ashamed of my church. I am proud that this is the Beaumont Seventh-day Adventist Church. It's on our sign. It's on our bulletins. It's on my lips. And a lady asked me yesterday. She, I, I went in to visit this uh, woman who is, is dying of cancer. She's at home. They have a home health care nurse that's coming in. I went in to visit with this lady who's dying and also with the husband Talked with them for a while. The nurse was there. The nurse says, by the way, what religion are you? I said, I am a Seventh-day Adventist. She says, oh, I know where a Seventh-day Adventist church is. It's on Palm. I says, that's my church. I'm the pastor of that church. She says, oh, really? And I says, yes. I said, may I ask what religion you are? Oh, I'm a nominal Catholic, which means I don't go. I said, oh, really? She says, yeah. The church, when I went, is just down the street from you. And I says, yeah, I know. She says, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. She says, she knows that this lady's going to die. Here she is, the nurse. She says, I am so attached to this lady that's dying. When she does die, it's going to kill me inside. Can I call you? So I can have someone to talk to. The everlasting. I'm not ashamed of being a Seventh-day Adventist. I'm not ashamed of the three angels' message. I'm not ashamed of the Sabbath. And I like keeping the Sabbath. And I like having that time from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. I'm glad that I have that time. Because it is important. And I try to keep the Sabbath sacred. I'm not afraid to tell my family I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. I'm not afraid to answer them questions. 
I'm not afraid to be able to stand up and say, this is what I'm going to do on the Sabbath when I go to visit them. I'm not afraid to tell my friends who are not Adventists who I am, what I do, they all know anyway, my neighbors. My neighbor across the street says, sees me get in the car and he says, hey Bob, and I says, yes Roger, he says, have a happy Sabbath. <laughs> Thanks Roger. They know. I want you to see something. Look at this very closely. Here's something we don't recognize. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Now, I believe Paul is the one that wrote Hebrews. Okay? Some people don't believe that, but I, I believe it. But anyway, it doesn't make any difference. Whoever wrote it, this is very important. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. When he left heaven and came down to this earth, he was a little lower than the angels. For the suffering of death, there's that cross. Crowned with glory and honor. That's after his resurrection and he went up into heaven. That he, Jesus, by the grace of God, might, might taste death for everyone. There's that gospel again. Okay, let's keep going. For it was fitting for him, for whom all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the author of their salvation perfect, my salvation is perfect in Jesus, not in me, through sufferings for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he, Jesus, is not ashamed to call them brethren. Jesus is not ashamed of us. Should we be ashamed of him? Jesus is willing to call us a part of his family. You're my brothers and my sisters. I died for you. But you know what? I died for that guy across the street who's not coming to church. I love him just as much as I love you. I love your family just as much as you love them. I love your workers. I love your neighbors. And I want them to be called brothers and sisters and be a part of my family so that we can all live together. But you know what? I'm not there, but you're there. And so I'm going to have to speak through your lips and through your actions to be able to let them see the crucified Jesus and him resurrected. I want him to see the judgment that it's coming. That it's here. It's already started. It's about to end. I don't want anyone to be lost. I want them all to be saved. I want you to be proud of being a part of the remnant church. I want you to be proud of the Sabbath day because I'm the Lord of the Sabbath day. You worship on the Sabbath, you worship in me, he says. You reject the Sabbath, you reject me. That's how simple it is. I don't want anyone to perish. But I have to be honest with you. Those that will be perished will be the number of the grains of the sand of the sea. And Jesus says, it hurts my heart. I want you to go out. Don't be ashamed of who I am or what we stand for, what we believe. Don't worry about what others might think. 
Just remember that if they reject you, Jesus says they rejected me. But we're going to live throughout all eternity. We're going to have fun together. Oh wait, I told my Sabbath school class that fun is not found in the Bible. We're going to have joy together. You'll find joy in the Bible, not fun. We're going to have joy together. Throughout all eternity. So Jesus is talking about those who are not ashamed to share the gospel, who are willing to admit they're Seventh-day Adventists, who are not ashamed to be different from the rest of the world. Are you willing? If you're willing, let's repeat this together, shall we? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is God's power working unto salvation to everyone who believes. Are you willing to take the challenge? If you're not willing, you're ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I hope you're not ashamed. What I want us to do is when we sing this song, I want us to sing it as if we are beneath the cross of Jesus and we are accepting the commission that he has given to us to go out and to share the everlasting gospel.
Heavenly Father, the only shame is my own. I was born in sin. I live in a sinful world. I've done and said and thought things that I should never do. But you don't hold that against us. That cross of Jesus gives me power to overcome any sinful act, any sinful thought, any sinful way, and then takes our old past and throws it into the depths of the ocean, never to be remembered again. We accept the commission that we are unique people in this world to be Seventh-day Adventists. But that means with our uniqueness, we, like the Apostle Paul, must carry the gospel to the world before Jesus will come. Help me in my weakness. Give to me the strength that I might take this commission seriously to my family, to my friends, to my neighbors, to my workplace, to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.